Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you want to take your Bibles this morning, take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, where we've been residing the last few weeks. Acts chapter 3, and when you found Acts chapter 3 in the 19th verse of that chapter, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and let's take a running start at what God has in store for us this morning. So Acts chapter 3, verse number 19, it reads like this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send... Uh, Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you will hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes. And all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Father, this morning we have truly been blessed. Thank you so much for speaking to our hearts about the fact that you are sovereign over all creation, even down to the point of the seed that was placed in the ground that grew the tree that was turned into a cross that we're going to hear about the response to that of this morning that grew into a cross, a tree that was made into a cross to hang your son upon. So, Father, this morning as we approach your throne of grace, I ask this of you. You make very little of me, very much of you, that you may be heard and seen in all things done this morning from this pulpit. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know where we're at in the story if you've been with us. If not, let me catch you up real quick. Peter and John. Peter and John, along with this former lame man, are standing before the Jews gathered in the portico of Solomon. After witnessing this healing of this uh, lame man, the Jews all came and they're wanting to know what's just happened. Well, what has just happened here? And Peter reminded them, if you remember, that, that only God can do these things. Only God can, can make a lame man walk again. They were not the ones who did it. It was the power of God. They were only the instrument they were only the instrument that was used for that. And Peter, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, now is going to use this time as they're gathered there to explain to them who this man Jesus is. Who this man Jesus is. He did this, if you remember, by uh, using the messianic terms that, that these folks would have understood that were gathered there. And he, and he explained to them who this Jesus was and the fact that they had killed this Jesus and the fact that this Jesus whom they had murdered was really the Messiah that they had been looking for. If you remember, there were six names that were used. They were told that he was the servant of both God and man, that he was this Jesus, this Jesus who would be the deliverer. Remember that name went back to Jehoshua or Joshua back in the Old Testament the deliverer he told them that this Jesus was the holy one and the the just one and he reminded them that he was set apart in his holiness and he was sent to be righteous on their behalf and, and then he told them that this this Jesus whom they had put to death was the prince of life 
that, that they, in fact, had stood and chosen a murderer over the prince of life. And that's, that's an amazing thought as it runs through my mind, that, that they chose the one who took life and should have died for taking life over the one who gave life and died because he was a life giver. Then he wrapped up that, that section of the, of the uh, passage, that section of, of the message when he told them that this, this Jesus was the Christ. That was the, that was the name for the anointed one, the Messiah. So, so he builds this picture for him all the way through the language of the Messianic prophets, all the way to this Messiah, this, this Jesus. And that, that's where we find ourselves at this morning because Peter, Peter has laid the guilt of their sin squarely upon their shoulders. As should happen to us when we look at this, this Jesus, as we read through Scripture, as we know those things that we have done against God, the guilt of our sin is, is on our shoulders, no one else's. And that's what he's done. He's laid it right on their shoulders. But you know, it's not good enough to just realize that we're sinners. It's just not good enough to, to just realize we're sinners. I mean, the Bible plainly states in Romans 3.23, there's no way out from under it. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When it says all, it is the Greek word there for all. So it's everybody. It's all people, all races, all, all creeds, all economic statuses. It's everybody. So, so we all know that we've sinned. There, there's no way out from under that. There's, there's no way to, to paint any other picture. We have sinned. But you know it's not good enough just to, just to know that, that we have sinned, to recognize that we are sinners. Recognition without response changes nothing. Recognition without response changes nothing. In fact, recognition without response still sends you to a place of eternal death in hell. Recognizing you're a sinner with no response to that recognition gives you an ultimate destiny of a place called hell. Anytime the gospel is preached, anytime the gospel message is presented, there must be a response to that message. And whether you choose to respond in the affirmative and say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and accept him as your Lord and Savior, or you, you respond by walking away without accepting him, either way, it is a response. It is a response. If you accept Jesus, eternal life is your future. If you walk away and you reject this message of Jesus, your eternal life is spent in a place called hell. There's no way around that. The Bible's clear on it. You can spin it any way you want, but at the end of the day, that's the facts. When Peter had concluded his indictment, when he had laid the guilt upon their shoulders and included his, concluded his indictment of the Jewish people standing there for the murder of Jesus and the rejection of Jesus, he then calls them to respond. You see, because just stopping with the indictment of sin would make no change. So he gives them this opportunity. When Peter concluded, he, he asked for a response, and we see this response to these names of Jesus. And that's what we'll start looking at this morning. And both of those responses are found in one verse, yet explained through the rest. That verse 19, the very first verse that we read, the very first verse that we read gives us two responses. The first response is repentance. He says, repent therefore. Repent, therefore. As you should always ask yourself when you see the word therefore, what's the question you should ask? What is the therefore, therefore? You see, this is a connector. This is a connector between the indictment and the response. What should happen at the end? He says, therefore, having heard those things, having heard the truth, having understood who this Jesus is laid out plainly before you, what must you do? You must repent. He's saying, in the light of the truth that you've now heard, repentance is your proper response. What then, you must ask yourself, what is repentance? 
We hear the word. We've heard it since we were children. But I think very few of us understand exactly what repentance is. So let's take a few minutes this morning and look at this word repentance. The Greek word that is used there is metaneo. Metaneo is the Greek word that is used there. We've heard repentance called this turning away from something. But the way this word is used here, it actually means to think differently. To think differently. To turn away from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. You'll see the connection here in a minute. What is it then about the Jews standing before Peter? What is it about their thinking that needed to change? See, the Jews are not that much different in their thinking than we are sometimes. The whole religious system that the Jews were a part of was set up on making sure that their good deeds outweighed their bad deeds. It it was a whole system of religion. How do we know that? They strived sometimes to extremes to make sure they didn't break some of the 350 laws they put in place, actually a little more than 350 laws they put in place, to keep the original 10. They, they would, when, when we were in Israel, even, even in Israel, just a few years ago, we were standing in this hallway waiting to go down in, into the, the lower parts and look at the, the wall of the old temple underground. And we're standing there, both men and women alike in our group. And, and along comes two of the traditional Jewish guys, the, the solid doctrinal Jewish gentlemen. One of those gentlemen had the other one by the coat, by the shoulders of his coat, guided him through the crowd. It wasn't that the guy was blind. It was that the guy had his eyes shut. Why would he have his eyes shut? I asked the question. I asked the question of our God. Why in the world would this guy try to walk through this crowd with his eyes shut and somebody have to guide him? He said to make sure he didn't lust after a woman in line, he chose to close his eyes and would rather trip and fall than to look at a woman. That, that's the making sure that you don't break the law. Some 350 plus laws, they wanted to make sure they had these down pat so that there would be no bad. They also had another 250 or so laws that they thought they should keep to prove their righteousness before God. Prove their righteousness before God. At that same site that we were at, that we went underground that night, just the day before, we stood at this wall, the wailing wall as we call it now. It's the exposed part of the old temple wall uh, there on the Temple Mount. And people were lined up at the wall uh, saying these, these ritual prayers and bowing so many times and putting pieces of paper and cracks of the wall, uh, you know, asking God for things. And they had this, this lineup. And matter of fact, I have back in my, my office, I think they called it a yarmulke, not to be confused with yarmulke. Maybe that's where the name came from. Yarmulke, the little... I should have brought it out, the little beanie thing. Uh, maybe that's where Yamakar came from. You, you guys may all live in a Jewish community and didn't even know it. <laughs> but, but they would place these things in their head, and they had uh, certain things they put on. They wrapped things around their arm with these prayer boxes. It was, it was an amazing sight to see, but it was a really sad sight to see too. But, but they did these things to keep these laws, these, to impress God. <laughs> Let's just face it. That, that was their idea, is, to, is to, to do these things to prove to God that they were righteous and not do these things so that they wouldn't sin against God. It, it was this whole religious system. <laughs> it, you, you know what? At the end of the day, it's no different than us sometimes. It's, it's no different than things we do. <laughs> it, it's no different than the way that we try to judge our walk with Jesus on how well we can keep the Ten Commandments or how well we can do these things. Let me just break the news to you. God knows you can't keep the law. God knows he can't. doesn't give you liberty to go break the law. Don't misunderstand. If law was the issue, grace would have never come on the scene. This morning as Beverly sung, what you heard was the song of grace. 
If law was the issue, that song would have gone very different. You see, grace came on the scene. We know that the Bible tells us that the law was never, ever given. The law was never given by God to save. The the Bible plainly says, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It says the law itself will never justify flesh, but what the law will do is cause you to understand you're a sinner. That's the point. Keep the law all day long and never turn your heart over to Jesus Christ and you'll spend an eternity in hell as a good law keeper. Because the law does not save. See, the law was not given to be a savior. The law was really given to be a judge. The law was given to be a judge of us. By judging yourself against the law of God, you should come to the conclusion that you have sinned against the holy God. And therefore, you need a savior. The savior's not in the law. The judge is in the law. See, all your attempts to keep the rules won't save you. And that's what he's telling these folks. He's, your attempts to keep the laws not going to save you. Your attempts to keep the rules should cause you to understand that you can't keep the rules. That's why when Jesus was asked about things such as uh, infidelity and those sorts of things, he didn't just say that having a, a woman who's not your wife as a partner in your bedroom is infidelity. He said, no, if you think about it, you've done it. He said, no, pulling out your gun and shooting a person, yes, that's murder. But even if you think about it and call him a fool, you have, in fact, in your mind murdered him. See, if it was just about the law, he would have never said to think about it would cause it because I think about breaking the law all the time. When I'm late going somewhere, I rationalize in my mind, did it really mean 55 or is that 55 with a five-mile-an-hour grace period? Uh, It could have been a 10. I really need to get there. I really hope it's... You can think about it all you want. As far as I know, this could have changed lately in our country. They can't arrest you for your thoughts. <laughs> They're working on it. <laughs> They're working on it. <laughs> but, but your thoughts don't get you arrested. See, if you're counting on the good things that you do, if you're counting on those good things that you do, even if they're in the name of Jesus <laughs> to save you, <laughs> you're foolish. Or, or as Peter said in, in, in verse 17, you're ignorant. Is the word that he uses, the the word ignorant. (laughs) You see, (laughs) ignorant of who God is and how he's given Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved, the grace in our lives. There there are not enough good things that you could ever do to justify Christ crawling on a cross and dying for your sins. But you know what? There's not enough bad things you can do to send you to hell either. See, it's not about the things. It's about the heart. It's what Jesus says. It's about the heart. What saves you is believing that Jesus Christ is, as Peter had told them, the anointed one, the Messiah. What sends you to hell is denying that Jesus is the anointed one. That's the gospel. So repentance is changing. It's changing the way that you think about Jesus and about ourselves. See, it's often been said that repentance is the turning away from something. And it is. But do you realize to turn away from something, you must turn to something else? See, there's been many a person who's turned away from something in their life to not turn to something else or the correct something else and wind up as bad or worse off than they were before. We see it. We we see it in the drug community. It starts off with something minor, 
They turn away from it, and next thing you know, they're hooked on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. They've turned away from the first thing to never go back. But what they turned to was worse than the first thing. You see, repentance is turning away from from our self-righteousness. Because really, that's what the Jews wanted, and that's what we want most times. We want to be righteous by our own doing. We want to do enough good that God looks down and goes, Boy, that brother Roger's a good one. Look at all the things he's done. Yet that's not how it works. See, self-righteousness is believing that you can handle it yourself. But, but you can't just turn away from that handling it yourself thing. You must turn to something. You must realize, I can't handle it myself. I can't be righteous in my own deeds. So if I'm going to turn away from that, I've got to turn to something that can. Or someone that can in this case. You must turn away from your self-righteousness and turn to the righteous one, as he has just told them, Jesus Christ. You see how repentance works in your life? It's not just leaving behind the bad. It's not just leaving behind those things you shouldn't do. It's turning to the thing that sets the example and died on the cross for our sins. And his name is Jesus. So you must believe that you cannot save yourself no matter how good you are. And you must believe that salvation lies in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So this is an awesome month. This is an awesome month for us as Christians. This is the month that you should walk mentally and and physically through the word and the journey that Jesus took to a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And you should walk past that cross to the open tomb to realize he was raised from the dead that you might have eternal life. See, this is the month. This is where it starts in recognizing this Jesus is our salvation. See, if repentance, if repentance is changing our way of thinking and turning from our self-righteousness to Jesus, how then does God bring us to that point of repentance? I was going to preach all of this sermon in one until I stopped and thought about the fact that there are several ways that God brings us to the point of repentance in our life. And I think they're worthy of looking at. It would have been implied as Peter stood before these, these men and women of the Jewish community And you know it's implied every time the gospel is preached. But instead of implying it this morning, why don't I apply it this morning and give you five things I saw in Scripture that God uses to bring us to repentance. Five things He uses to bring us to repentance. First and foremost is the knowledge of the truth of God's Word. The knowledge of the truth of God's Word. He's placed His words, His truth into a book, a collection of books bound in one book, 66 of, of these books. And all of these books point to one thing. Jesus. Jesus. Whether it's a book of history, whether it's a book of prophecy, whether it's, it's a, a, a book chronologically telling the story of Jesus' life, whether it's epistles, whether it's letters to churches, whether it's a, a book like uh, the Revelation at the end of all of it that points towards a future, every bit of every word of every page inside of your Bible points to one place, Jesus And it's time we grasp the fact that even as you read those stories, we talk about the dead bones and we look at that at the end of the day, the dead bones story. Great. They came to life and flesh and everything come on. But what difference does it make? Unless it points to Jesus. See, unless it points to the fact that our dead bones and sin will one day, one day if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, instead of being dead in sin, dry bones laying in the the gutter in the valley, will be brought to life with new flesh and see new through the life of Jesus Christ because he was raised from the dead. It all points to Jesus. 
You see, without the knowledge of the truth of God's word, we would not understand. We would not understand our eternal state of damnation or our need to be rescued from it. Without reading the word, without seeing in the word, God's rules, regulations, his laws, his guidelines, his gauge for us. If we didn't see that in there, we wouldn't even know we needed a savior. So, so pointing towards repentance, he starts with, with the knowledge of the word. And God has revealed the truth of his word in many ways throughout history. A couple that came to mind as I was standing here thinking about that in, in direct revelation. In direct revelation, when he spoke directly, burning bushes, remember? <laughs> Hiding one in, a cl- in the cleft of a rock. When he did things directly himself as he spoke, also by speaking through the prophets. That's where, that's where the book of the prophets, the books of the prophets come in, the major and minor prophets. God spoke directly through them to the people at that time. And, and because he put it in the canon of the Bible, he's speaking directly to us through those same voices of these, these prophets. But you know, God also speaks to us through his creation. Have you ever thought about that? God speaks to us through his creation. You know, do we ever have to worry that tomorrow morning the sun's not coming up? Have you ever laid in bed at night going, I sure hope the sun comes up in the morning? Have you ever got out of bed thinking, you know what? Is there enough oxygen in there, or do I need to adjust something? No. There's times that we stand outside and think, is it ever going to rain because this grass is dying? And then there's times like we've had recently going, is it ever going to stop raining because this grass is drowning? But at the end of the day, we don't have to do anything to start it or stop it. They can talk about climate change all they want. There's only one person who's going to change the climate, and that's God my Father. You know, he reveals himself to us in so many ways. He even reveals himself to us in miracles. And, and that's the point of, of this story here of, of Peter and John in the former Langa. He, he reveals himself through these miracles. He often used miracles in the Bible. Matter of fact, I would say most times, if not all times, the miracles of the Bible were there for one reason. Not, not for the miracle itself. Yes, God cared about the lame guy and him not being able to walk. He loved him. But you know what he loved more than the fact the lame guy could walk? He, he loved the fact that the lame guy could be saved. And so the miracle was used not for the sake of the miracle, but to validate that which was going to be said by Peter in the portico of Solomon so that others may come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The lame guy being healed was an instrument in God's hand to get the message across to some five or six, 7,000 Jews, as you'll find out at the end of this story, standing in the portico, one lame man. We see the story as, hey, God loved the lame man so much he healed him. No, God loved the 6,000 Jews so much he healed the lame man to get their attention so they could hear the gospel from the mouth of Peter. That's what the story was about. You see, a great example of, of God revealing his truth through miracles, and then those miracles not doing that which... God desired them to do because of the hardness of the heart. comes out of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and the 20th verse says this, And he began to rebuke the cities in which he, uh, which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Of course, the he there is Jesus. So it says he's rebuking these cities where he'd done these mighty works because why? They didn't repent. He goes on to say, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, two other cities, they would have repented long ago. In sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't leave it there. He goes on to say, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable and tire and sadden in the day of judgment than for you. Then he turns to another city and says, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, remember Sodom? Salt piled outside the city. Somebody looked back. God said, get out. This is Sodom. 
it would have remained until this day. He said, if I'd have done these works in Sodom, Sodom would still have existed. He says, but I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. How did he start that discourse of rebuke? He says, because you did not repent. He said, the miracles were done to bring you to repentance. We, we see those, those stories of the miracles of God's word. He tells us to rebuke them for, for not repenting. And, and the verses that follows, he gives us specific examples. He even goes on to say, Sodom, Sodom's going to be so much better off at judgment than you because you, you wouldn't even turn when you saw the miracles. He says, even though you had the knowledge, the knowledge of who I am, because even the Jewish people believed only God could do the things that Jesus did. He said, even though you knew who I was, verified by the mighty power of God in the works that I did, you rejected me. You rejected me. You know, many of us are like that today. You ever thought about it? Many of us are like that today. We have in our minds made up who this Jesus is, what he's good for, and that's just the way it's going to be. It doesn't make any difference what the Bible says. It doesn't make any difference what I see him do. I got my mind made up. Jesus, I need you for this. I don't need you for that. I'll let you in this part, but stay out over here. I got this under control. <laughs> no matter what God does to change our minds, we don't listen. Sometimes we think. Sometimes we look at a person and we think, I don't know why they can't see God working. If God would just do something big, just do something big in our life, they, they don't see all the little things God's doing. And I don't know why they can't understand that there's a God that loves them. God, if you would just do something big in their life, that would get them. Something big would take care of it. <laughs> but, but if the truth of God's word will not bring a person to repentance, the biggest miracle in the world won't bring them to repentance either. How do we know that? Luke 16, as a matter of fact, I believe it is. Luke 16 tells the story. Tells the story of a rich man and Lazarus. Yes, Luke 16 tells the story of a rich man and Lazarus. Down starting about the 19th verse. You know the story. Two men died. Two men died. This parable says that the, the rich man wound up being in a place, it says there in verse 23, in the torments in Hades. It says that the, uh, the poor beggar, so to, to speak, Lazarus, in verse 22, it says, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Uh, Abraham being a picture of the Father, being a picture of heaven, the, the beggar Lazarus being taken into heaven, and, and the rich man being taken to hell and into Hades. And it says, you go on to read the story, I don't have time to deal with it today, but as you read the story, it says there was this great chasm set between the two so, so that no one could leave Hades and go to heaven. No one left heaven and went to Hades. There was a great separation set. It gives you this picture of all of eternity, the two will be separated. So that's the picture that is painted. That's the picture that is painted. This man, this, this rich man in verse 27 says this, I beg you, therefore, Father, speaking to Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So this rich man that said, hey, he says, please, please, I beg you, send somebody, send someone to go tell my brothers not to come to this place. Look how Abraham answers. It says there in verse uh, 29, Abraham said to them, they got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. The Word. They have the truth of the Word. Let them listen to them. 
So, so he makes this point that the truth of the word is enough. He's saying to this, this rich man, he says, like you, they've been given the truth of the word. And like you, they've chosen not to repent. That, that, that's where they're at. <laughs> the rich man goes on to say then in verse 30, and he said, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, <laughs> that'll get them. They'll repent. See, what's he saying? If the miracle's big enough, it'll even get their attention. It'll get their attention. If, it, if they've got this big miracle that they see, they see one come back from the dead, surely, surely they will understand. But they look at what Abraham says to him in verse 31. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through the one rise from the dead. Think about the Jews. Think, think about the Jews standing before Peter. What had they been a witness of? What they'd witnessed this lame guy, this lame guy giving back his life, so to speak, physically because of being raised up to walk again. And I feel pretty sure most, if not all of those, have seen that. That's why they gathered. But think about something else they'd seen in the last 40 or 50 days. What they'd seen more than likely all, if not most of them, had seen was this man named Jesus, who they saw hang on a cross, who they saw be placed in a tomb. And it says for 40, 50-ish days, he walked among them. They saw him. Even as Abraham would say to the rich guy, you know what, Jews, you're standing here before me. You saw the guy alive. That wasn't even enough to make you believe. He's saying it's the truth of the word. It's the truth of God's word is what makes us be led to repentance, which, which leads us to repentance because we understand through the truth of God's word that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that there is a fix for that. It is repenting of our sins, trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and giving all of our hearts and lives to Him. Many today have the knowledge of who God is. They understand in their mind who, not, who God is. They understand in their mind who this Jesus is. They have this picture Yet repentance eludes them. See, many have grown up in church hearing all the stories, singing all the songs, attending all the services, being on all the rolls for everything from Sunday school to RAs to the choir to every committee that's ever been, yet repentance eludes them. Many have witnessed, many have witnessed the power of God in their own life, in healing, in rescue from financial situations and, and putting together marriages that were broken and, and saving their, their kids that they, their heart had just been broken about. They, they've seen the power of God work in their life or at least the life of someone close to them that they love. Yet repentance still eludes them. You see, the miracles were never intended to be the answer. God didn't come so that He could do miracles in our life. That wasn't the answer to Jesus' coming, they were intended to point us to the truth of God's Word. They were intended to make us look into God's Word and say, what is the truth of this Word? By this, that, that God, this, this man who just healed my wife's body, what, what does he say? What does this God say in His Word about my relationship with Him? That, that's what it's intended for. And the truth of God's Word is this, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one way to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and has come to the conclusion of what the Word says about us is that we have chosen sin over God. And that we have done that maybe out of ignorance, 
Yet God has given us His Word as instruction. As instruction of what we should be, and it should give us an example of what we are not in His presence. And what are we not? (laughs) For most of us, (laughs) we are not a servant of God or a servant of man without Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what makes us a servant. We, we are naturally selfish. Without Jesus Christ, we're a servant of no one but ourselves. <laughs> you, you know what? Without, without having Jesus Christ in our life, there's absolutely no holiness. <laughs> there is no justice. There is no, no righteousness in our life. The Word explains that to us. You know, without Jesus Christ in our life, we're not set apart for anything good. Nothing. Nothing good. But see, all that changes. All that changes when the truth of God's Word jumps off the pages of a Bible into your heart. And you come to know that God loved you so much while you were yet a sinner. He sent His only begotten Son to die upon a cross for your sins. That He wasn't a God that was sitting in heaven saying, that's a horrible person right there, I'm just going to send them to hell. No, He was sitting in heaven and saying, that is a horrible sinner right there, but I love him so much. Jesus, come here. I need you to go put on flesh. I need you to live among them. And I need you to crawl upon a cross and die that they might have the opportunity of eternal life with me forever. You see, what we deserved was a place called hell. What God gives us an opportunity to do is to hear the truth of His Word, repent of our sins, confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and have eternal life in a place called heaven. That's point one of five of why or how God leads us to repentance. I want you to think about this morning. Where do you stand with the truth of God's Word in your life? Is God in your life what He says He should be based on the truth of His Word? You know, it's really simple. We play a lot of games. We play a lot of games with God's Word. We like to twist things and we like to find the limits of God's Word. I get questions such as, Pastor, do you think it's okay to drink? Does the Bible say I can't drink? Pastor, is it okay to do such and such? Or, Pastor, do you think that this is, this is a sin or that's a sin? You know what? We need to stop trying to find where the outer limits God allows us to walk to are. Instead of walking to the edge of the cliff to look over into the valley with risking the possibility of falling off the cliff. In other words, is it okay to drink? Does the Bible say yes or no? I'm not going to answer that for you. I will later. If you'd like. But why walk to the edge of the cliff because you think God says it's okay to drink and look over into the valley of the drunks, risking the possibility of falling in when the same view of the valley is just as nice right here without that in your life? Why look for the outer limits of what God will allow you to do? Why don't we start looking at what God wants us to do? God wants us to be open and honest. Even as Christians, I feel like most of the room this morning knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I recognize that. But even as a Christian, (laughs) repentance is called for in our lives. It's called for in our lives. Why? Because our relationship is daily hindered with God because of our choices to sin against a holy God. Maybe this morning you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you don't, I pray that you will come this morning and allow me the opportunity to tell you how to make that first step in the repentance from the life of sin to a life of eternal holiness, righteousness in Jesus Christ. But if you've already made that turn from sin in your life and and repented to accept Jesus Christ, there's still those stumbling blocks in your life that come that you must be honest and open with God. Not explaining to Him what you did, because guess what? Newsflash, He already knows. 
<laughs> he's waiting for you to come clean with yourself. He's waiting for you to come clean with yourself and come to a holy God and say, God, I know that I've trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I know my eternal destiny has been set in a place called heaven, but I also know that today I sinned against you. And that just breaks my heart that I sinned against you, God, and I want to come. I want to come in repentance. I want to turn away from that. I want to change my way of thinking that got me in that situation. I only want to think about you, God. That's what a church needs today. That's what's missing in church. That's what's missing in Christian life. So this morning, I challenge you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you come. As we have our invitation, I would love the opportunity to share him with you. Also, we'd love the opportunity for you to repent. If, even if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there are things in your life that you need to deal with. Deal with those things. You want a clean, fresh walk with God? Start with repentance. That's where it begins. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.